0: you're listening to discography discussion episode 183 tool hosted by dan terry all right
1: guys i think that Freudian slip means that you are ready for this episode of discography
0: discussion jeff kane (laughs) yeah good luck in trying to spell all that shit (laughs) and joseph wren station presented by discussmetal.com and if you want to take a ride on the fibonacci sequence Then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. I am Joe, that is Dan, that is Jeff. It's finally happening. 183 episodes in. Does that follow any mathematical pattern that we can write a song about? I mean, I'm not going to write a song about it.
1: I'm not going to write albums that are this long. I'm just not going to do it. (laughs) Maybe it's because I'm not cool enough. Opiate, that, that was a good length record.
0: Six tracks, a couple of them were
1: live We're finally talking about Tool, guys Yeah, everybody's going to be Well, I I would say everybody's going to be super stoked But I don't know if they're going to (laughs) be This has always been one of the big asks It has been And I think think Tool's like a a fine band Uh, I think that they are also like Like, why can't that just be enough for people? Why can't it just like Why can't a band just be good and we just leave it at
0: that? (laughs) Because the records need to be an hour long with 12-minute ongoing musical passages that many people consider to be extremely deep and complex and telling a deep underlying story. (laughs) But I hate to say it, but Tool is not that complex. If you wrote it on a piece of paper, you could add it all up and it would equal 13. Okay, you guys can do math. Well, Polyrhythms are a thing. I got it. I think it's more of a strength to Tool just to be... A slightly
1: more traditional hard rock band than whatever it is that they're doing. Well we'll we'll get
0: into all that. Well, before we take thirteen years to release another episode of this show, I'm gonna take this time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, then you can find everything discography discussion at discussmetal.com. We are on Spotify. Apple and Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher. So if you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, you have no excuse. Ask it to play the latest episode of the Discography Discussion podcast, and it will. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Be sure to like, favorite, and subscribe. It really helps us out. It lets us know you're listening. And now Dan is going to tell us all about five-star reviews. We do
1: love five-star reviews here on Discography Discussion. I will tell you, though, the best thing that you can do for our podcast right now is share the episodes, let your friends and family know, make them listen to the podcast against their will, do whatever you got to do that's safe and respectful and all that good stuff. I guess what I'm trying to say is I really appreciate you guys, and I'm, I'm really glad that you have kind of championed spreading this podcast out to other people. I love the fact that I posted an episode of our show in a, in, a, in a Facebook group and my post got removed because somebody else had already posted the episode
2: in that group. So like that was, that's that's so awesome. I was gonna say the whole nice thing, screw that. just strap them down to a chair, blast it as loud as you can, you know, and just totally mess with them like a clockwork orange style. Just indoctrinate them. I mean, that's how I felt listening to
1: Tool this week. <laughs> Bring back Blind Guardian, please. Oh, hot take. So, Dan, tell me about Tool. Tool, man. What is there to say about Tool that hasn't already been said? Everybody knows that Tool is a 90s hard rock alternative band I don't think they're a metal band, but everybody in the entire world seems to think that they are, so... I don't think they're progressive rock, but people think they're that, too. I, yeah, I don't I don't really know what to say. I mean, th- these guys are undoubtedly one of the most talented bands I've heard. They have really, really good ideas. Uh, they're, they're, they're star players. I mean, they, they, they have all the tools that they need to be successful, and they are successful. They are one of the biggest bands in the world, and are still considered a band that has that underground credibility you know a band that that people look to as an example of progressive music so i mean they've they've got quite the catalog and i'm gonna i'm gonna challenge that a little bit tonight and i want you to know right off the top that i'm not saying this stuff about tool to try to sound cool or to try to sound like i just know so much more about music than anybody else does I'm just going to tell you how I felt about
0: these records. That's that's like my disclaimer. Jeff, you are a few years our senior. Yes. I know what the perception was about Tool when we were growing up. We were in middle school, high school. Everybody thought Tool was the greatest, darkest band ever. Some of that attitude may have been left over from the grunge explosion in the early 90s new metal wasn't quite a thing. I know Tool was labeled a new metal band a few times. That's wrong. I'm just going to say it right now. The perception I got of what the purpose of Tool was, it was a band that did not want people to focus on them as individuals. It wasn't about Maynard, who is the lead singer of Tool. It was about Tool, the band. And if you went and saw them play live, you had a gigantic video screen with all this imagery on it that very much resembled their music videos. You had the claymation, like Prison Sex and Sober. But then the first thing I noticed was Maynard's not at the front of the stage. He's in the back. He has a little riser. It's like he's purposefully keeping himself out of the limelight, which might be a creative choice of his. Or he might just be shy I don't know the answer but the perception we had was that tool was this gigantic power trio who just happened to have a lead singer is it the same for you uh absolutely not uh, it was it's different
2: every uh, concert you go to because I've been to a concert where Maynard's literally like sitting on this massive dude's shoulders like like there are a couple of sm dudes literally that's how you know like bondage and it, it he has uh just uh, a plethora of visions that he's trying to express and get across to everybody so i, I mean the dude's all over the place with his uh, the visualizations that he's looking to uh incorporate into his music and the the stage presence i think that's the reason why they have such a massive following throughout all of these years is that they have legendary stage shows. I mean, they are an, an amazing presence, and you don't know what you're going to get because it is different uh, every tour. You know, and I and I think that's part of what uh, the allure is for people. Once you see Tool live, it does tend to change your opinion on the band because they are uh, not only are they uh, artists in the you know oral form. They are also, you know, incredible visual artists. And that is something that really needs to be experienced to fully understand what makes people so rabid about following Tool. And that really was very prominent in the 90s. Uh, it was, you went to see what was going to happen. And you don't always say that with bands. And, it, you know, this was really a time before the internet you know, so you would have some magazines, uh, but it was like a word of mouth thing, you know, just as like, holy shit, you know, you guys seen these guys live? And then the videos come out, you know, f- you know, for like prison sex and stuff, you know, and you're just like, holy shit, these videos are so cool. So it, it is, it runs the gamut. They are masters of manipulation when it comes to media and all of the forms of media that are out there to pique people's interest and to keep themselves relevant, even when it takes forever for them to put out an, an album. So yeah, th- I'm sorry, I'm kind of going rambling on, but it, it, there is uh, in my generation, there is a something very special about Tool, uh, and the other band that there's a very special connection with uh, is uh, Rage Against the Machine. Those two bands literally helped, besides the grunge movement, formed uh, my generation. And uh, so it is, uh, Tool is paramount. They're one of the top top three bands of of my generation just because of what they
0: did for everybody that listened and especially went to their shows. Tonight, we're going to start with my favorite record to hear Dan talk about when it comes to Tool. What was previously labeled the Opiate EP is presently being offered as the first release by the band, and with the exception of Undertow, I think this is what people heard first. This was the cassette tape. the cover that's on streaming services is like a painting, sculpture. It might even be Maynard in an outfit. I just can't tell from this angle. But the album cover I have is like MS-DOS paint for days. You're talking about the original
1: cover with the with the priest and it's like just copied. It makes it look like he's like some kind of weird Mortal Kombat character.
0: Yes. Yeah. It literally looks like somebody just copied and pasted some icons inside of MS Paint. i mean maybe they did
2: you know what i think of when i see that i know it's come out after that but i think a human centipede yeah fair (laughs) enough (laughs) (laughs) and it's it's just you know priests up their own ass over and over and over again
1: (laughs) well i think a common theme in this is that priests are not just up their own ass
2: uh but we'll get into that too yeah uh yeah <laughs> that, that's kind of where I was going, uh, it, a- actually, with that too, Dan. That that was kind of that was the feel, and I thought that there was some sort of. Uh, oh God, why would you have to use the word feel? Uh. <laughs> but okay. I think there's relevance in the in the imagery. Uh, I guess is all I'm trying to say. There is. So obviously, we're breaking
1: the rule on this and talking about an EP because. If you really think about it, like this, this breaks all the rules for me as far as a release to talk about on the show. There's three studio songs: "Sweat," "Hush," "Part of Me," right? And then "Cold," and "Ugly," and "Jerk Off" um, is like they're just live songs, but they sound really good. Some of the best live recordings I've ever heard. Uh, and then obviously you've got the song "Opiate" at the end. So there's not really a whole lot of material here, but the material that you have is really really I mean it's classic tool at this point. And this is the tool that I like. this is the this is the hard and heavy pissed off angsty tool. And this is the band that this is the band that I became familiar with and this is the band that I fell in love with whenever I was younger uh, because you have the anger, you have the aggression of any other heavy band in the early 90s, right? Uh, but you have a guy that is obviously an above average vocalist who is able to you know beat you in the face and then turn around and give you a hug you know he's got that he's got that 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 pretty and 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 terrifying aspect to his voice and this this album is definitely one of one of tools greatest achievements and that it is one of the few times that they understood that brevity is a thing 26 minutes it gets down to
0: business This had to be their set list for the first years of their career, just put to tape. And I often say, if you're listening to a band play live and it's a 26-minute set list, yeah, it might not be the best thing you've ever heard, but you're into it because it's live. And this, to me, is the first glance of what everybody was going to be talking about when we got to Undertow. You
1: definitely feel like the band is special here. This is like that—that that kind of intangible. Man, these guys are gonna go on to do great things. I don't think that the material on Opiate is like their best material, like obviously. But I really liked this because this is this is before they're like super prog,
0: right? This is these are these are actual songs. This is before everybody said they were up their own ass.
2: Yeah, so. There's one, there's one thing that I want to have a little fun with, on, uh, on cold and ugly and jerk off, that was re- recorded at the the Jello Loft. So if anybody's a little bit older and knows green Jello slash green jelly, they had to change their name because of Kraft. It's green Lo- Jello.
0: Damn it, say it right.
2: <laughs> I, I no, 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 they had to change the name legally, from green Jello to green jelly. That's that's what I'm saying. So but Danny Carey was in Green Jello for several years. Uh, Maynard uh saying on probably their best known song and that is what is that Three Little Pigs? Yes,
0: that's the Three Not Little Pigs. Jeff.
2: Chin chin. When you hear that in the song, <laughs> that's Maynard. So yeah, there's all there's a there's a shit ton of connections between the two bands and uh I just, uh, I just thought I'd throw that little butt nugget out there for everybody because that's – it's just fun stuff. I mean, they, uh, they're they quirky, uh, and they didn't used to always take themselves uh, so seriously, and I think that's part of why I like some of the earlier stuff. It was just really funky and freaky and, and weird uh, just because, and there wasn't, you know, like this serious reason on why they were. They just – we're just like, yeah, those guys are a little off-kilter, and that's what makes them fun. But yeah, that that's part of the reason why it sounded so good is because they already they were being live-recorded at a studio that was already well, you know, established.
0: 1993, Undertow. Well, now, here we go.
1: What are these guys going to do that's better than Opiate? Well, they're going to give you a 69-minute fucking album. And uh but back then I didn't care because I didn't have a lot of CDs, so having one that had that much content on it seemed like a good idea to me, even if you know most of like the 7 minutes of it are just like fucking chirping noises. But I I think that this is the best representation of the tool that I like. There are a lot of qualifiers in that statement. I mean, I just feel like this is the tool that was promised on Opiate like they live up to they live up to all the hype. There's no like oh these guys just put out a cool EP and now they're expected to like produce some amazing full length. But they did. They they killed it and I mean, who doesn't know Prison Sex? Who doesn't know Sober? You know what I mean? Who doesn't know Undertow? You know like these these songs are dark. They're actually kind of simple. Like simple for Tool. And I just feel like Maynard's vocal delivery is equally pissed off as well as like very, very, very soft. But I like him as the hard rock vocalist that he is on this album. This is probably their grittiest as far as like guitar tone goes and just just general like it's it's very 90s. And that's that's what I love about it. It's so synonymous with with the 90s. Uh, that I can't really Absolutely. separate the two. And and I just, I love it. And I love that there's a bunch of weird shit on here, but like it's endearing here. Like the chirping and stuff. Like I don't care because like I hadn't heard anything like that before. But there's also kind of a playfulness on this record where they're being very serious about some of the subject matter, but you get a sense that the band is kind of fun too like they're they're kind of like not taking themselves so damn seriously on this record so it's dark there's dark themes dark subject matter but like they're still like they're still fun they're still doing stuff just to be quirky and it's endearing here
0: this record is the reason i think tool is an old school power trio that just happens to have a vocalist if maynard was playing one of the instruments they'd be a power trio When I listen to Chevelle live, I'm mesmerized by how that band could make such a giant sound, and it's only three dudes. People say the same thing about Cream back in the 60s. It's three guys. It's a power trio. They say the same thing about the Jimi Hendrix experience. When you get to Tool and you have three core musicians and a vocalist who is adding on, I never get the impression that Maynard is trying to serve himself by presenting the vocals the way that he is. I don't feel like the message is his message. I feel like he's another color of whatever this art is supposed to be. And based on some of the things I've read and some of the things I've heard him say, I think that that's the truest statement you can make about the band. They're presenting the art. It's not about the message or the people. It's just about what it is. It's like they're painting with music. It's just not this overly complicated, intricate thing that takes multiple years of complex thought and guitar tricks to execute. It's about creating one cohesive sound. It's like each one of the
2: band members has a is a bold color. If we're gonna keep going with this artist thing. Uh, there's something for everybody there. And I and I think that's what's good about Undertow, is that it's everything is very distinct. And uh, there's something that if you like good vocals, well guess what? You got good vocals. You want killer guitars, you got killer guitars. You want an amazing drummer? You got amazing drummer. Well, there, you know, there's the bassist in there too. I mean, they were always for, the forgotten ones. But I guess all I'm trying to say is that uh, I I don't think that he's just a uh, just something that's put uh, put on top of it. I mean, I I you know, just as an after effect, Maynard is the uh, the driving force. Um, it, it's and I think it's it's pretty clear. I mean, his vocals kind of cut through everything else, in my opinion, especially on. Uh, Undertone, and um, yeah, there's, there is, quite the, I don't know. He's got a unique value to his voice. Yeah, you, you almost always know when it's Maynard, unless it's earshot trying to sound like Maynard. That's the only other time. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's for another episode. But you know it when it's Maynard, and I, I like that part. He's very distinct. He's very unique, and uh it, he's. He's decept- he's another one of those vocalists that is deceptively hitting those high notes that you think that you can hit those notes until you try to hit them the same way he's hitting them and you're like, yeah, there's no fucking way that I can do it the way he's doing it.
1: He has a very unique delivery, like even today, like that I feel like a lot of people have emulated but never been able to really get there. And... Um, I think it is one of the most endearing parts of the band. I again, I, I still like this mix of anger and darkness with like kind of j- a joking attitude, and uh, and I feel like they're going to lose that as as it
2: goes on. Yeah, right now, the best. I kind of think of like a like a traveling circus. You know, there's there's enough. You know, it's fun, but there's enough like weird, creepy shit going on. And you're like okay, yeah, something's not right here, but it's still kind of fun, and you're kind of you're kind of like lured in by the fun, but there's something creepy and sadistic hiding underneath, and that's kind of what makes early Tool fun for me, is that it's just kind of got that sneaky, creepy kind of feeling going on underneath it. Once we get into the next album, those kind of freaky vaudeville traveling sideshow sideshow circus kind of feel is 100% in effect. 1996. Enema. This is, for me, a quintessential tool. This screams my high school life. I can't tell you. I'm probably in the tens of thousands of listens of this album uh, and I might have done half of that my junior and senior year I mean it is insane how many times I've listened to this album it's, it's mind blowing uh, it's, it has not gotten old for me you know 20 plus years later this still sounds relevant it still sounds fantastic it still sounds edgy it is is close to a perfect, weird, freaky record that you can get, in my opinion.
0: I don't think Tool has a definitive record. I disagree. I think this is it. But I think the majority of Tool fans would agree with you, Jeff. This is what they want Tool to sound like. This is Tool when they talk about Tool. I think Tool has a lot of definitive songs... But I don't know how much of that is the music industry and the radio trying to make singles back when they believed you had to have singles. Enema has so many classic songs that remind me of Tool every time I hear them. Stink Fist, Eulogy, even H, Hooker with a Penis, and even Enema that closes out the record. How did I possibly forget Push It?, Push oh, yeah, and, 40, and 46 and 2, you missed that. I can't read from this distance, you know that. Oh, uh, 46 <laughs> and 2,
2: man, that song is fucking unbelievable. I think that this record is,
1: in in my mind, it is also a quintessential tool because Undertow is a great record. I love that record. But this, like, they took a lot of the harder edge that they had on Undertow and they've kind of smoothed it out here. I'm not saying that they're not hard on this record, but this has a much smoother kind of silky sound to it and i i like that because i i i do get tired of like the 90s crunch that you get from a lot of these bands and uh anemia was like one of the first uh was one of the first records i heard that like sounded sounded super dark and super creepy and um, you know, with creepy song titles that I could not even begin to explain to my parents. Um, <laughs> but like this has like three times more darkness in it than than Undertow did. But I also still feel like the band is still kind of like fun here. Like they're joking. They're they're joking, but they're more they're more sarcastically joking here and um hooker with a penis is is a really fun song for me because uh it's about a fan of the band who basically told them that they sold out after opiate <laughs> um and i was like fuck they wrote a song about me it's called hooker with a penis <laughs> um right it's true but like i guess like like i like i like that kind of poking fun you know um message to harry Manback back is hilarious you know because it's like super like this is what i mean about it being fun like this dude's like saying all these horrible fucking
2: things <laughs> you could take your fucking penis and shove it up your fucking ass right yeah like, like,
1: like it says all these horrible <laughs> all this horrible stuff right uh, but like the music's like fun and happy <laughs> and like chill you know like it's it's different and uh and i love that like i love that part of tool i love the sarcasm but i also like that the music is making me think and and you know, when you're, when you're a kid, you don't really understand why you like Tool more than you like other bands. But as you get older, you start realizing because what they're playing is actually very
0: cerebral. It's that big sound that all power trio bands have. It's one big explosion. Even though it's sonically not the loudest thing you've ever heard, there's no bullshit. There's not 17 layers of guitars with strings and multiple layers of background vocals tool will count to 13 more than once in their career but they're giving you one sound i do think that the painting explanation that we had earlier jeff is the best way to explain it they're trying to give you one piece of art and it is a lot harder to play with a small group of musicians and artists than it is to create an elaborate record that you can take multiple shots at until you get it right. Something about this is more true in the audio sense than other things that you've heard. At the same time, it's not the most progressive thing that's ever been put to tape.
2: Uh, this is a straight-up Sonic masterpiece. I don't know. I mean There's nothing... Bad on this album, in my opinion. As they're weird, Is are a little bit off kilter. Yeah,
0: but you like that shit, Jeff. <laughs> yeah,
2: I mean, because I think it helps. It, it's you know, it sets the, it sets the scene. You know, it it prepares you for what's coming next. I and I, I really do believe. I kind of look at it as like the freaky, scary clown. That's kind of how I feel about with this album. You're like, oh, yeah, he's kind of funny. And then the next second, and all of a sudden, it looks like Pennywise. And you're like, but then the next second, no, it's just another clown. That's kind of how I feel about Tool on this album is, it, you know, there's just something off. And it's kind of magnetizing. You can't help but not look away or, in this case, not listen because you, you kind of are curious of what the heck is going on. And they do such a good job of just melding it all together. Uh, it's just... It's a fucking masterpiece. And anybody who says otherwise is wrong. Can, <laughs> can take that sting finger and stick it up there. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I love this album more than I love most albums. Uh, it's, it's stuck with me all these years. And not all albums have, but this one has, and I still listen to this on the regular. I might have even listened to this more than I have Sunny Day Real Estate, and that should probably be mind-blowing for some people because how much I fucking talk about that band. Uh, that's how important this album is for me, and maybe that it kind of explains why I'm a little sadistic and off-kilter and but yet still caring all at the same time.
0: I don't know about you guys, but I'm ready for Lateralus. Lateralus? I mean, we don't have to. 2001. This is the record I think everybody wants to be. The best Tool album. When you talk about the sound and you talk about the songs themselves, and I'm going to use the word defense in favor of this album, I've heard people talk about Undertow and Enema, and nobody's arguing about whether or not those records are good. But so many people want this to be the best Tool record. I don't know why that is. It has some good songs on it. It also has more of the artistic. We're trying to create an abstract piece of art. But it doesn't grab the listener the same way. So maybe that's buyer's remorse, to use a term Dan said more than once. Like, you spent money on it, so you have to justify it. It has to be as dark and mysterious as the previous albums
2: i think lateralis is tool being a a victim of their own success it's not it's not the fault that lateralis comes after Enemum. i mean that's that's the that's the problem i mean you're coming after what most people consider one of the greatest albums of a decade I mean, it, it was in multiple people's, you know, top 10s and top 5s and even number 1s uh, for the 90s. I mean, that's how important and how much people looked at Enema. So uh, when the Luteralist comes out after that, you have so much hype and so much, so much expectation. It is next to impossible not to have, uh, you know, a little bit of a letdown. It's not a bad album. It's a very, 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 very good album. It's just not the previous album. And I think that's something that, like you said, people tried to prop it up because of the album that came prior. So there's a hell of a lot of good songs on here. Uh, But they also start to uh, get a little bit up their own rear ends, a little bit, as Dan likes to say, on, on on this album. And that becomes a... Uh, a trend moving forward i think that this is the
1: most honest of the later tool releases because they had never really done anything like this so a lot of the heaviness is still here at least but it's doled out differently than it than it had been in the past whereas it was a little bit less predictable this this one kind of favors more of like a like a slow burn sort of thing a lot of these songs build up to heavier moments uh not unlike kind of some of the stuff that you hear on the adam ship album uh you know where where some of these songs will start off kind of kind of slower and and build and build and build and build and build uh or you know in the case of uh in the case of uh parable and then parabola how you have the softer side of that song and then you have the second part which is all the heaviness right and then obviously you know ticks and leeches being one of the heavier tool songs out there but I think that with this record they were definitely trying to move forward they were trying to be more progressive and uh, and somehow though like if you take a song like Schism somehow we're able to put out a radio hit as well and it is, it is the most radio friendly tool song I think I've ever heard uh, while still being uniquely tool
2: and seven, almost seven minutes long. <laughs> sure, <laughs> at sure. at the same time, I'm you know, played for, it in its entirety. For, yeah, you know, regularly played in its entirety. It's almost, it's kind of like, uh, this, uh, you know, there's always, uh, at least here in the Midwest, there's a joke about like if you're gonna play a Metallica or a Tool song, it must mean that DJ needs to take a shit break. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But you know, it's because yeah, let's play this awesome long song. But I, you know what, I got. I got seven minutes, uh, I don't have to do anything. But I I think what's missing from this was that uh that kinda sarcastic, scary humor sideshow stuff from uh Undertow and Enema that we I think that's part of what we liked. That it had a, a kind of uh Almost like a charm to it, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how to really explain it, but...
0: I like charm. That's a good it, word.
2: It, it kind of pulls you in, and uh, that that's just missing. This is just straight seriousness the whole time, and there's nothing to, to break it up. It becomes quite uh, a, a draining experience for the consumption of 70-some-odd minutes of this, or however long this one is. 78 minutes, 51 seconds. Yeah, so I mean, it, it's. They were trying to fill that CD. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and they did.
0: <laughs> but it, it, you, know, you know what I'm coming from. It, it just, there's just. The power trio feel is no longer present. You don't have the same big sound being presented. It sounds like they're trying to add atmosphere to what was already a bought in experience for the listener. I'm already here because I want to feel the music. I want to see the stage show. I want to see the video projection. And I want to take the whole thing in. Maynard, I'm going to play by your rules. There's aspects of this record that are just not as interesting as the previous. And it drones on and dulls on in times. We didn't have that on the previous records.
1: I think this was earnest, though. I think this was a a legitimate, honest try. Oh, I agree. To move forward. However, as as Jeff was talking about, there are certain aspects that are missing from their sound, like the joking jokey sarcastic thing. It's almost like like if you're if you grow up with somebody and you're best friends and you hang out and you joke, you have a good time all the time. And then that dude goes to the local community college and takes a class on introduction to philosophy and then that's all he wants to fucking talk about after that that that's kind of the shift that 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 they've had here and uh so it's still interesting the things that you like about the band are still here but not all of it and they they found this new thing or it's like you know it's like this dude that you know you hang out with and then he finds jesus and then all of a sudden uh you know that's all he wants to talk about and suddenly it becomes it becomes all about like what they want, and and like how every statement that they make from here on out is like, oh, I bet you never really thought about it like that before. Uh, that's what this is. It's earnest. It's passionate, and I I love this record. I mean, I, I love I love Schism. I love Ticks and Leeches. Um, you know, I I, I love uh, Parable and Parabola. Like I love that how how those just run together.
2: Yeah, I, I definitely. Yeah, Parabola is one of my favorites on this. You know, talking about missing some of the uh the that quirkiness i i think it's because uh they, they got so big they kind of like sp- had like spin-offs almost because you because you have pussifer in a perfect circle and I, I think that's important to to mention that because i think all the quirkiness just found its way over to pussifer
0: did we have those in 2001
2: Postefer has been around since the '90s. Oh yeah, a long time. Yeah, like '94,
1: '95. So he's diversified. Yeah, a little bit here, and this was also around the time that a perfect circle was. Yeah, because that came out, starting to become a thing.
2: Yeah, because I had a friend of mine that just had a huge crush on Melissa Aufdemar, and uh, so I I heard about a perfect circle every day.
0: You're right. Mare de Nome came out in 2000. Yep. But this is cool. Like this record is
1: really cool. I loved it because I loved the artwork and the packaging and like all of that stuff. And honestly, that year in two thousand one, listening to Tool made me feel like I was smarter than other people. And that's <laughs> gonna be a huge fucking problem for Tool fans going forward. But we're gonna say that was a huge problem for you. <laughs> no. But I'm I'm serious. That this is what this is what gives birth to, oh, God, now the Tool fans are here.
2: Yeah, it's the same thing with Radiohead fans. I used to have to deal with that because I like I, I got tired of trying to say how much I love the Benz and then them telling me how shitty that is and how important Kid A is and stuff like that. I'm like, nope. That, it's, it's, it's kind of the same thing with, with Tool fans whenever you start talking about you know, anything else other than Tool and this record kind of ushered that in because
1: you could be just a rock fan and like Tool before this, and you could still be that. You can be whatever the fuck you want to be. But like, I guess what I'm what I'm what I'm honing in on here is that like, this is like, there's philosophy and then there's introduction to philosophy, right? This is still introduction to philosophy. This is cerebral music that really makes you think and really makes you kind of self-reflect a little bit. And rock fans aren't used to that. So, but what you don't understand is that, like, there are far more progressive and deep things out there in the musical world. You just haven't heard it because they're not on a major record label. So what you're getting is, it's kind of the same realization I had when I first started listening to heavy music, where, you know, I was like, okay, I like Korn, I like Slipknot, I like Tool, I like like these kind of bands. And then one day I realized that all of these bands were, like, outrageously mainstream. And that, and that I was just part of a demographic that they were selling records to. And that's not to undercut Tool's creativity because they are unique and they are very gifted. But I think that, like, for whatever reason, general rock fans heard this album and it made them feel smart. It made them feel superior to other music fans. And I think that that, you know, but what they don't realize, it's, it's literally just checking like a pleasure center in their brain. And it's not that they're smarter. It's definitely not that I'm smarter. I can attest to that. Uh, but for whatever reason, it makes you feel really good. It makes you feel a little bit superior. And um, that's that's the unfortunate byproduct of what is otherwise a really really cool record and a really cool concept and a really cool a really cool setup. It is it is absolutely a move forward for Tool. Unfortunately, like if you only love the previous
0: two records you're going to have a bad time going forward this is the last record in what I consider to be classic Tool we had a five year gap and in 2006 we would get 10,000 days I had no evidence I had no articles or interviews to cite but I was surprised when this record came out I honestly thought Tool was done Tool thought Tool was done at one point I don't know what year they had the litigations and the court issues going on I think that was when A Perfect Circle started to do more music and as a fan of Perfect Circle I had Meridinoam I had the 13th Step I don't know if I had Emotive at that point but when we got 10,000 Days it just sounded like the previous tool but taken to the next level This was the first time I heard the Power Trio intensity that I was expecting from Tool, but it just didn't sound the same. Something was a little off with this one. I've listened to this record more times than the previous, not because I like it more, but because I've been trying to get it. I've been trying to figure out the point between having part ones and part twos that are 12 minutes long and then finding songs on the record that really just sound like they took pieces of that 12 minute song and cut it out of the mix and made it its own track and things like that to me don't sound like layers it sounds like you had a cohesive song and then cut it apart to make it more interesting and dark and that just doesn't make sense to me This one doesn't feel like the band wrote one piece. This is the first time it sounds to me like the band had a bunch of music and then Maynard just showed up and did his thing.
2: Well, I know all the music is a collaborative effort. It's written collaboratively. Lyrics is still just Maynard, and that's pretty much consistent throughout. This album kind of surprised me in the fact that there is, you know, there's a lot of good songs on here, but it's one of the few times I'm like, yeah, I listen to these songs as singles. I don't listen to these songs uh as an album called Ten Thousand Days. And that's that's kind of unusual for me. And and I and I'm perfectly fine with it too. Uh the one thing that I actually really like on this one, it's kind of a jam track and it's really pretty long, is Rosetta Stoned. I really, really like that. Uh, I've really uh come to appreciate danny Carey, and i can listen like it's it's weird but that song is what made me start going on to stuff like youtube to see like drum solos and the live was that song and uh you know obviously there's plenty of other great drummers out there but that's the one that really pushed me to this like i want to see him do this live because it's kind of curious 'Cause you know, there's a lot of shit going on for Danny in that in that song. But I think they, they changed like time signatures like ten times or something ridiculous, like in the uh Of course
0: they did, it's tool.
2: <laughs> yeah. But no, like during his solo. Like during like the drum solo, it just it changes that many times. It's insane. But it's fun to watch. You know how I said that the last record was earnest?
1: And that they were trying to move forward. They were trying to do something different. They were expanding. They were growing. Well, now they have to top that somehow. Because at that point, they'd released a record that most people, I wouldn't include myself in this, but most people would consider to have been their finest work. You know, that it was, that it was incredible, right? I can tell you right off the bat that 10,000 Days is not as good of an album. But they've got this image now that has to be they've got this image that has to be maintained they have an expectation for themselves that they're never going to reach again spoilers and they're like okay well what do we do well we have some people make some batshit insane artwork that can only be viewed with proprietary fucking glasses that we packaged in with the record it's actually part of the record that's fine. <laughs> uh, it's it's. I mean, it's cool. Like I, I mean, I didn't buy it, but Joe did, and uh, you know, <laughs> it happily sits on my shelf. I think this this record is an interesting. Like I said, I don't think it's as good as Lateralus was, or Lateral, however you pronounce it, Lateralus, Lateralus, whatever. I don't think, and that I could it's, be wrong too. I intentionally didn't say the name of the record at all yet because <laughs> I didn't want to fuck it up, but. That record is 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 way better than 10,000 Days. Ooh, except that that record got a lot of people to start thinking that they... Well, you know, man, I listen to records and I, like, get things out of them. I get it. I don't listen to that basic rock shit anymore. I listen to Tool. So then this becomes weird because this follow-up is not as good as its inspiration. But we have to add all of these crazy weird elements to make people think that it is and that if and that if you don't think that it's good you just don't get it it's a weird mixture of superiority complex and purchase justification because you bought this amazing package and you really liked the last record and it made you feel things it made you look at music totally differently so if you don't like it as much as the previous record it's because you don't get it it means that the band has gone to a level that you just hope one day that you're gonna reach and fuck anybody else that says anything different. That's 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 how a record like this gets released and is considered a classic when it's not that. It is a failed attempt to capitalize on what was done on the previous record. That is not to discredit the the musical expertise of the band members. They are above and beyond anything that I'm ever going to be able to sing or play. And I'm not bitter and I'm not upset. I'm not even mad at Tool. Really. I'm just irritated that I'm irritated by how they're perceived at this point.
2: Yeah, and one of the other things too, uh, at by this point in time, every song of theirs has to have a deeper meaning. I mean, there's that there's,
0: is the perception.
2: Yeah, there is something beneath the surface, you know, on on every track and that there is something that only the the enlightened few can have and understand about their music. And the the funny thing is is that the every hardcore Tool fan thinks that they are the enlightened ones. I don't know. I just think it's it's just, you know, music and just acceptable. It's accept just it not
0: as... good. I'm, I'm, I want it to be no, I'm good, not... but it's not. It's trying to continue the path that was laid out with the previous records. It just doesn't hit it the same way.
2: Well, there's the best way for me to put it is there is good songs on here. I don't necessarily think it's a good idea collective album but the weird thing is is that there is looking back in time there's more good songs on here than i thought there was uh and that's kind of a uh an interesting quandary because i it's one of those things where the the sum of the parts you know don't equal the whole the individually i think a lot of their songs on this album stand up well but put on an entire album that maybe it just doesn't work for me for whatever reason is I think that's what I was trying to say before whereas I'm fine you know listening to these songs as singles instead of them as an album
1: I'm the opposite of you on this I think this record has outstanding musicianship and outstanding performance but it doesn't have good songs that's what I get out of it and it's so weird at this point that the band is almost other than other than Maynard's voice itself, the band is almost completely unrecognizable from their early '90s selves. You know what I mean? Like, wh- why did you get into Tool? Because I wanted to rock out and I was angry. It's like joining a cult, right? Like I joined, uh, you know, I, I joined up with you people because I just wanted to rock. But now I have to like take in all this other shit too, stuff that I didn't necessarily sign up for. And, and that's where we're at. We're like taking these long, extravagant, 11-minute trips through the fucking nether realms. But it's not really why I ever started listening to this band in the first place. And they've changed so significantly. But the problem is, is that if I'm a Tool fan and I say I don't like it, it's not because Tool did anything wrong. It's deflection. Like, it's not that Tool did anything wrong. I did something wrong because I just don't get it. And maybe that's true. And that's, I can already see the fucking emails on the episode. Like like, that I didn't get it or that I didn't spend enough time with it or this or that or this or that. But the reality is, is I like Tool because they were heavy, they were dark and they were angry. And now this is heavy, dark and angry, but it's actually not really heavy. It's not really angry. So, I mean, I guess it's just dark still, but like. I, there, there's all of this stuff that I'm supposed to consume and that I'm supposed to understand and I don't have time for that I just want to
2: listen to good songs and they're not giving me good songs anymore so the one thing that I will disagree with you on is that I can absolutely tell that this is a tool album the guitar tones have not changed since enema that that is still there I mean it sound to me the guitar tones are exactly the same even if everything else is different that is there and you can always tell when danny Carey's playing the drums uh even if if maynard is not singing i i can still you know i can still feel it still tell that it is a a tool album or tool songs i i don't know i i i think it's we're starting to get to the point where they're getting propped up uh on previous success And they are, maybe it's a hot take from me, but I think as time has gone on, they have become one of the most, if not the most overrated band uh, in the history of uh, alt-rock slash alt-metal.
0: Well, Jeff, if you want to talk about being propped up on previous success, 13 years later, in 2019... Tool finally releases the album that everybody said they were waiting for. There were multiple interviews. The last one I read, Maynard said that they were working on the music or they were changing the music and he was waiting for them to finish that so he could lay down his vocals. So what am I expecting? I'm expecting 10,000 days again. I'm willing to accept anything at this point. The one thing I'm not expecting is what I started to get near the end of A Perfect Circle's release schedule, which was over-atmospheric set pieces as opposed to songs that have a direction and an end goal. I wonder if this is Tool in name or if everybody really spent the last decade changing what they considered to be music by Tool. I don't know what this is, but it's not good, and I don't like it. What about you, Dan? How do you feel? I feel like this record is
1: very much like if you took Lateralis and you just poured it out all over the floor, and then you licked it up. I know that's a really weird analogy, but stay with me here. It contains a lot of what you liked about that record and even some of the 10,000 Days stuff, but that record's kind of odd to me. Uh, But this one, I think, sounds a lot like Lateralis, but it's like extended out. It's like watching Lord of the Rings Extended Edition. You know? Um, There's just extra stuff that probably doesn't really need to be there, but is there anyway. But I just honestly, the first time I listened to this record, I had trouble staying awake through it. Which, I mean, they're right there. I'm outed immediately because I clearly don't get it because I fell asleep listening to it. Um, but, yeah, I don't think that this pushes the band forward at all. I think the only thing... no, I think if this had come out right after 10,000 days, people would have been like, Oh, so Tool's just going to always sound like this from now on. And that, that's just the way it is. Um, I don't think... And I'm not just hitting on it because I don't think it's as heavy as their previous material. I mean, it's definitely not. But... Um, this is de- this sounds too similar to what they were going for on their previous two records to uh, justify the 13-year waiting period. Yeah,
2: I mean it's it's their Chinese democracy, you know, all this hype, and I and it's they're a victim of their own su- success almost. It's not that this is a bad album. That's one of the things that I will say. Even though I say that I think they're one of the the most overhyped bands, I don't think they have a a bad release out there. I I think everything is good. It's just that they had, you know, one of the, in my opinion, one of the greatest modern albums of all time. And that's a hell of a lot of of a standard to to live up to on any subsequent release thereafter. And it's next to impossible to to come back to that standard. But it is, you know, a decent album. But it's like Dan said, and I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, Dan. This album kind of is a, is quite a bit more chilled out and relaxed uh, for the most part. And I don't mind falling asleep to it. There's, I, fuck, I mean, I fall asleep to Grindcore. So, I mean, I, I guess I'm weird. But... This kind of music I think is designed to just kind of completely chill you out, relax you. And it does it successfully. I mean, it's not my favorite obviously of their releases, but I'm not going to s- sit here and and say that their music sucks balls. I mean, I'm not there's other bands that we have done that on this podcast with and I Dan and I in particular have done that with. I'm not going to do that this time around, but it is just incredibly incredibly overhyped and it's just not as good as what people want us to believe it is
1: yeah just because it's overhyped doesn't make it not good you know and i think that's something that you know i i probably could have been a little bit more clear on like i don't think any of these albums are like bad like i said these guys are 800 times the musician that i will ever be and they, they understand things about music that I'll never understand, and there's subtleties in their records that I probably don't hear. Uh, but at the same time, it's really, really, really good. But I also don't understand why people can't just leave it at that. Why why we live in an age now where something has to be the best? It's I liked this, so it's the best thing in the entire world, and it's it's just not that. And I don't think that I don't think that this in any way competes with like other progressive bands. Uh, I think that, you know, they're doing what they want to do and I think a lot of the issues that I have and this is a Criticism that people have of me even is that they're like you need to stop looking at fans of bands and letting that ruin the experience And I wish that I was mature enough to do that, but I'm not and so whenever I Say yeah, you know I didn't think that the Tool album was worth the wait and then somebody turns around and explains to me how I'm a terrible music fan and how dare I call myself a music critic because you know, obviously, if I don't see it, I just must not get it. And I've been having the same argument with people since I was in high school about this band. So it's it's really hard to not let that affect me going into, you know, uh, into rec- into recording this podcast because, like, I'm going to try to be above it. I'm above it on most bands. But in this band, it's just really hard for me to get past it. it is the overratedness. And it does taint my experience. And it does make me go in with a little bit more of a negative approach. And it's entirely possible that if I didn't have all that baggage associated with it, that I would probably enjoy it much more. So I don't think that it's a bad, I don't think it's a bad album. I don't think any of their albums are bad, Uh, but I don't necessarily understand why it has to
2: be life-changing. Final thoughts on Tool. Jeff. Well, it's pretty much been laid to bear. I mean, they made one of the um, most important albums for me, uh, but they've also uh, put out some albums out there that just don't do it for me, I guess. I don't know. It is... uh, I love Maynard. I can listen to Maynard sing all day long, and uh, I love his voice. Uh, When I sing, especially when I was younger, I worked so hard to emulate him uh, because I respect him as an artist. And the dude's a crazy mofo too so i mean he he will kick your ass and then wear your girlfriend's panties and bra because he can do whatever the fuck he wants and he does all of those things there's a couple of videos of this dude out there uh quite literally i think there. he's i can't remember he's either rear neck of choker he's put somebody in a triangle on stage and then continues to sing while he has a fan you know in a chokehold i mean the, the the dude graduated from west point i mean he is a just a an eclectic individual and somebody that I love to follow, even if I don't agree with everything uh, that he produces. It's very interesting and uh, it's thought provoking. I just don't think it is uh, the end all be all that people want the the band to be.
0: Dan, what about you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I
1: largely agree with Jeff. I think tool is a fantastic band i think that they are a great introduction to more progressive music but i also really just like it when tool just was angry and rocked hard and i don't feel like they do that enough for me it's not what i got into the band like this stuff these last three albums aren't really what i got into the band for so it's it's really a, a big preference thing for me i prefer older tool because it's angry and angsty and let's be real it's nostalgic uh, so I don't think you can really go wrong with Tool's releases. It just depends on what kind of music fan that you are. And uh, if you like more complex stuff and you like stuff that's more cerebral, you're going to find a lot to like in their last three albums. But for me, I just would prefer a, a, you know, a hard rock in your face, pissed off band. And you know what? That's fine. There's tons of other bands I can listen to that do just that. Overall,
0: I think Tool is a band that you should be listening to. Anytime you have a small group of musicians who can create one big, cohesive sound, that is a band worth listening to. Dan talks about American arson almost every single day because he believes they're going to be the next favorite band for all heavy music fans. When I listen to Tool, I don't hear the biggest noise or the most complex music or the most intricate playing but what i do here is a group of musicians who are actually playing together and listening to what each other is playing i don't know that the music is supposed to be the only thing i'm focusing on my biggest complaint about tool is for years it was you need to see it live you need to see it live give me the video record then Give me the video screen on a DVD with the record or the set list and let me take the whole experience in. And I know that's not the same as going to see the band live, but at least I would get the whole picture. I don't think it matters that Tool is or is not the greatest band ever play music or the most cerebral band, but I don't think you have to get it to know when it's good and know when it's not good. I'm a fan of Tool Jeff is a fan of Tool Dan is a fan of Tool So you should be listening to Tool There is something there Just don't look for more Than what the band is giving you Dan, what's your album of the week? Well, I'm glad you brought it up It's American
2: Arson Lying in the Sand
0: Jeff, what about you?
2: I'm going uh, back to the same time frame as Tool And we're going to do Facelift by Alice in Chains Good choice yeah love hate love man i've been (laughs) if i don't have much of a voice on this podcast it's because i was screaming that at the top of my logs on the on the way down here well stop it
0: (laughs) (laughs) for me it's the newest record by static x project regeneration volume one did anybody else expect to like the new static x record i know i didn't i still say it shouldn't exist but i like it take us out dft
1: have you ever been listening to our podcast and want to give us a band suggestion or maybe just tell us how you feel about the show? You can absolutely do that. There's tons of ways you can reach out to us. You can reach out to us on facebook.com slash discography discussion. You can reach out to us on Twitter at discuss metal. You can send us an email at Dan and Joe show at gmail.com. You can check us out on Discord. We have a whole server there that you can check out and talk to other fans of the show as well as us. We're always in there also. There will be a link in our show notes that will take you to our Discord server. You can also support the show monetarily on Patreon as well as go to our Teespring store to check out some sweet Discography Discussion merch that we have
0: on there. And on that note, this has been episode 183 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things discography discussion. And please send questions and comments to DanAndJoeShow at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at patreon.com forward slash discuss Metal. We have some sweet perks. Give me your money.